Well, please remain standing now as I read this morning's text from Mark chapter 7. Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone, and he put his fingers into the man's ears, and then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Father, which means be opened. And instantly the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. Even, he even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our kids can be dismissed down the hall. There's programming for them waiting down there. To the rest of you, thank you for being here today at the 11 o'clock service. Thank you for joining us online if you're doing that today. We are glad that you are here. Years ago, there was a, in a fundamentalist Muslim country, um, there were people being thrown in jail. They were suffering for their faith. And in that country, there were two Muslim boys they were early to mid-teens, you know, typical teenagers, and like lots of typical teenagers, they wanted to take risks. And so in their environment, a risk that they thought would perhaps trump every other risk in their life was to try to find, in this very Muslim country, a New Testament, the Christian book. And so they, they dared each other, let's go find a Bible. And so, in this country, there, were, there was also a very small ethnic minority that was actually allowed to practice Christianity. It was a very orthodox kind of Christianity, <clears throat> and the churches were uh, incredibly historic churches. And so, these two dared each other, hey, let's go knock on one of these churches' doors and ask for a Bible. And so, so they did. They went up to, a, to one of these old churches, they knocked on the door, and a priest came out. Uh, very suspiciously, said, what do, what do you want? They said, well, we're, we want a Bible. And the priest, priest asked them what their names were because he's trying to protect himself. And they give very Muslim names, right? And the priest said, oh, no, no, no I'm, in, I'm in trouble now. I can't, I can't do this. But they per, they're persistent. And finally, the priest gives them a New Testament. One of those little boys went and read that New Testament in about three days and his conclusion after reading the New Testament was this. If this is how God is, after reading the life of Jesus, if this is how God is, I want in. And he became a Christian, and he has followed Jesus since that day, and he has been kicked out of his country along the way. His wife has been kicked out. They live in Europe, and they now work with people that come from their own country and are in the area that they are in. And when you come face to face with the message of Jesus, with who he is, you can never be the same. And we are going through the Gospel of Mark uh, a section by section, and we're just isolating a few uh, incidents out of each section and talking about them on Sunday. And so far in the book of 
Mark in his gospel, he has tried to answer this question for us, who is Jesus? And the crowds that have come haven't fully grasped who Jesus is yet. Uh, The religious leaders who are aware of Jesus haven't grasped fully who he is yet, but they know just enough that they want to kill him anyway. Uh, Even his disciples who are with him 24-7, they haven't fully grasped who he is yet. And we are working our way, even in the very next section, we'll get to a place where the disciples will come to a full expression of who Jesus is. But along the way, Mark gives us these snapshots of Jesus and his ministry so that his readers, or even centuries later, a 13-year-old Muslim boy, right, can understand who Jesus is to such a degree that they are never, ever the same. And so this story that we just read is a part of our section for this week, and I'm compelled to cover it because there are details in this story that are so easy to miss, and they mean the world to us. So I want to carve the section up this way. Let's talk about size, and let's talk about a sign, and let's talk about silence, okay? Here's the way that we start out. Jesus and his disciples are returning from a a Gentile trip uh, way up north, and they go there, and they're planting seeds that the kingdom of God will be for far more people than just the Jewish people. And that's a very important radical shift in the disciples' thinking that Jesus is, and his mission here on earth is way bigger than just the Jewish people. And so they finish their time there and they're coming back towards Galilee. And the text says, they, now let's stop there because we have no idea who they is, but with a little bit of work, we can figure it out. Jesus, when he gets into this area that's still a Gentile area, he's not all the way back into Galilee, they know him. How do they know him. And if we go back just a couple of chapters, we find a man who is demon-possessed. He's living in a cemetery, and Jesus throws the demons out of him and into a herd of pigs. And at the end of the day, he's sitting there in his right mind, a, a situation that he hasn't had maybe for his entire life, and he's healed. And he says to Jesus, let me follow you. I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home, and I want you to tell your friends how much the Lord has done for you. And so, he did. The text says he goes into the Decapolis, which means just the ten cities, and that's the area where Jesus is now, and he tells people about what God has done for him through this man named Jesus. And now Jesus is going back through the same area and everybody seems to know about him. Did that man do what Jesus told him to do? Yeah. Yeah. They all know Jesus. And so they bring uh, to Jesus a man who was deaf. And because he's deaf, he can't, he can't speak. He, he's not really mute, but he has great difficulty hearing So he has no idea if what he's saying is correct. And Mark uses a super descriptive word here to describe the state of his speech. The picture is that his tongue was tied up in knots. And so in a world with no speech therapy, that's a problem, right? And so they bring this man to Jesus. Verse 33, Jesus sees this man, and immediately the text says he takes him aside. 
In other words, Jesus took him away from the attention of the crowds that he was probably in the middle of. Now, why would he do that? Jesus has healed lots of people in the middle of a crowd. He's done healings very publicly before. Why does he take this particular guy aside, away from the crowd? The text says that he's deaf, he has a severe speech impediment, and this rare word that Mark uses here to describe his condition also tells us that he can, he can barely talk. And so his deafness is probably not a, a situation that he's had from birth. It's probably the result of an illness or a trauma. But either way, it was a terrible affliction that no one would choose. Even in this same section here in Mark, we get a, a situation where Jesus heals a blind person. Now, if you had the choice, deafness or blindness, which would you pick? Say neither. neither. Neither is the right answer, right? But if we're pressed, maybe some of us in the room would choose death because it doesn't seem as debilitating as blindness. Is that the truth? I, I think that there are blind people that don't necessarily suffer the social stigma that deaf people do. Nobody tells a blind person, well, just look closer, right? But what do we do with people that can't hear too well? We talk louder. We make our lips really big so, you know, maybe they can read them. As if their situation can just cure itself. And they're just frustrated and more helpless than ever. And so for this man, there are impatient stares for peop from people who are unaware, and that never ends for him. There, there is the humiliation of being looked down as stupid or slow when that's not the case. That never ends for this, this guy. People see a blind person and they instinctively get it, but a deaf person, sometimes they don't know it at all, and even if they do, they don't get it, right? And so in his condition, this man can't ask questions. He can't hear explanations. Just functioning day to day is a constant struggle. Odds are extremely high that he wouldn't have been able to read, and so the truth of Scripture is hidden from him. Lots of people that he would have run into would have concluded that he had some sin in his life that led to his condition, or maybe he was possessed by a demon. And so every time this man tries to speak his fractured, fractured and garbled words, it draws attention to his disability. And what it means is that this man knew what it was like to be made a spectacle of, to be made fun of, mocking and jokes and pointed fingers and laughing, and more than anything, isolation. I was talking to a lady uh, just after first service, and she has some cousins that she grew up with that are deaf. And she said one of their biggest frustrations in life is how people don't take the time to explain what's going on to them. And so maybe there's a group of people and they're all talking and they're laughing about something and the, the deaf person doesn't get it right away and they ask, what, what was so funny? And people just, uh, it's going to be too hard to explain and they roll on. And that makes a deaf person feel isolated and alone. And that's the worst part. And so life is difficult for this man. Jesus realizes this. He refuses to make a spectacle of this man. So he takes him aside away from the crowd. And what does that tell us? It tells us that this man to Jesus is not a case. He's a person. He's not a project. He's a person. 
And this man had a special need and a special problem, and Jesus sought to understand him first. Stephen Covey, in his book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, tells a story about being on a subway in New York City. And he was on the subway, riding and just calmly reading a book, getting to where he was going, and all of a sudden, at one stop, he's interrupted by a father and two sons who get on at the subway stop. And the kids aren't just loud, but they are out of control. They are jumping up and down. They're running loudly through the subway car, and the father is oblivious. He just does not notice. He doesn't seem to really care about what his kids are doing, and they're, they're, they, that they are disturbing all of the other people on the car. And finally, Stephen Covey couldn't take it anymore. He gets up, he goes, and he approaches the father, and he says, you really need to control your kids. I mean, they're disturbing a lot of people. And the father lifts his gaze to Stephen Covey and says, oh, as if he's recognizing this for the very first time. Oh, you're right. And then he sighed. He said, well, you know, we just came from the hospital where, where their mother died uh, about an hour ago. And I, I don't know what to think. And I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Covey writes in his book, can you imagine what I felt in that moment? Suddenly, I saw things differently, I felt differently, I behaved differently. Covey is suddenly filled with empathy for this man's pain, and everything changed in an instant, right? Instead of anger at unruly kids, there is compassion and there's empathy, and his words were, I'm so sorry to this man. Is there anything that I can do? Tell me about it. What can I do to help? And that's exactly what happens with Jesus in our story, and it's, it's what leads him to a sigh. This word that Mark uses as Jesus enters into the man's pain, he feels it personally. The text says that Jesus looks up into heaven and with a deep sigh, and then he says, Ephaphtha. The sigh in the original language is not like a sigh when we think about just a, just a sigh. It is a deep, personal sort of groan. It is an involuntary, natural reaction in the face of something that is a catastrophe. That's what's going on here. It's when you get really bad news about somebody close to you. You don't think. You just, you just react. You groan. Ugh. Right? Jesus is feeling what this guy has been through, and Jesus is not some miracle vending machine that just passes them out uh, whenever and wherever he wants. He, he is deeply affected by the suffering of the people that he is serving. And as he serves them, as he serves this man, he enters into his pain and he understands him. And it was personal at that point, and he sighed. The sigh also gives us something deeper. Here's what Alan Hirsch says. Whoever we're called to serve, we need to feel their pain. Serving others is going to get personal. It needs to. Serving others will pull the sigh out of us at some point. Jesus was so in tune with where this man was that it pulled the sigh out of him. But there's something else here. The sigh is not just about this man. It's also about Jesus himself. It's, the sigh is an acknowledgement of Jesus about what it will take to heal this man fully, for his ears to be open, for his tongue to be loosed, the ears of God will have to be shut as he turns his back on his only son. On the cross, Jesus will cry out, why have you forsaken me? 
oh God, right? And God will go deaf. He will not answer. For this man to be able to hear and to speak, God will have to go deaf and mute towards Jesus on the cross. And Jesus knows this as he's about to do what he's about to do. And it's, he knows that the cross is crucial to this healing and the sigh is pulled out of him. And then there's the sign. I don't want you to miss the details here because uh, Jesus gets really personal. He steps into this guy's world. And to explain this really well, I need to point out a couple things. Number one, that the speech impediment that this man has means that for every new person he meets, he has a new mountain to climb with them. He meets a new person. The first thing in his, in his brain is, do they want to communicate with me? The second thing is, if that hurdle is jumped, okay, now how do we communicate? And he probably went through that exact same routine with everyone. And so uh, a person meets him or, or finds out that he can't hear or can't hear well, what do they do? They start talking louder, right? As if that will fix things. We talked about that. It doesn't fix things. It never fixes things. It never works. And this man has to go through the same routine with everyone. In a day and age where there's no sign language, people just think they have a solution when they don't, and it's just frustrating for this man. Even in our world, uh, we actually have uh, a thing called sign language, right, that we can use to communicate with people who are hard of hearing or if they are deaf, if they have these issues, we have a tool. And yet, even with that tool at our disposal, how many of us know sign language? Yeah, there's a, there's a hand or two, but most of us don't. I have to admit, that uh, even at Ozark Christian College that had a deaf uh, part, uh, you know, deaf training. Uh, we had classes and a whole track that you could take to be uh, a minister to the deaf. And every chapel service, there's a, there's a deaf ministry going on down here in the corner. I remember seeing that. And, and it took me until my third year of Bible college to figure out a particular sign. I would always look down and they would always be doing this. And I reached over to Amy in our, in our third year of Bible college. I said, yeah, they're always doing this. What's that? She just looked at me like, you're dumb. You're an idiot. That's Jesus, right? Some of us are slow, even when we have that at our disposal. And so imagine a world where that's, that's not at the, their disposal. The clunky communication at best for this guy. Jesus knows that. And the word, the very word he uses, ephaphtha, it's an Aramaic word. It's not a word that he would have used normally, but it, would, it, it was a word that would have been very easy to lip read if you were deaf. This man knew what Jesus was saying when he said that word. But it gets better than that. There are four things that Mark tells us that Jesus did here. First, he puts his fingers, literally he thrusts his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spits, okay? Uh, then 
he touches the guy's tongue. Depending on what version you're reading, does he spit into his hand and then touch the guy's tongue? Does he spit on the ground and then touch? We don't know where the spit goes. I'm not worried about it, okay? Uh, Here's number three. He touched the guy's tongue. And then number four, he looks up to heaven, okay? He does those four things. Now, can we all agree right up front, that's pretty up close and personal, Jesus is decidedly into this guy's personal space bubble. He touches his tongue. Are you kidding? That's weird, right? We don't let anybody touch our tongue. Maybe our dentist. That's it. And yet, these four things Jesus did and the spit, what is this all about? One thing that is really helpful to know is that in Jesus' day, I'm going to use the word spittle because it's a really fun word, spittle. Uh, Spittle was believed to have medicinal and healing powers. People in Jesus' day believed that there was something magical about spit. Any any Seinfeld fans out there? Uh, Before there was a magic loogie on Seinfeld, here it is in Mark chapter 7, the magic loogie. What's going on? Now, to be clear, It's not the spit that heals this guy, okay? There's nothing magical about the spit. That's just what they believed. But it's the meaning that people assigned to it that plays a really important role here. And I want to demonstrate, and you tell me what Jesus was doing. He takes this man aside. He stands him right in front, and he he does this. Fingers and ears, right? He spits. Magic healing powers. He touches the guy's tongue. He looks up to heaven. What's going on there? Let me do it again. What is that? Is that not signed language? Is that not what Jesus is doing? Fingers pointing, spit flying, hands touching, eyes upward. In our day, we would absolutely say Jesus is speaking sign language. He's signing in a world where there is no sign language. And he's so personal with this man that he communicates to him in such a way that no one else would know what was going on, but this man would understand what Jesus is doing. Jesus is communicating so that a scared man that is used to be uh, being a spectacle feels safe and loved and cared for. And I'm sure he's glad about it. He has hope. And so in, in, in sign language, Jesus says, I'm going to heal those ears. I'm going to heal you, your ears, your tongue. And God is going to show up today and do that. There it is. True compassion doesn't just feel, it, it reaches out. So Jesus sighs, he puts himself in the shoes of this man, and that leads him to these signs. And let let Jesus be our guide here. Uh, May the sighs that we have for other people, when we feel empathy for them, may that lead us to action on their behalf. Verse 35, here's what happens. His ears are opened, and he begins to speak plainly. The man's tongue that is all tied up in knots is suddenly not tied up in knots. It's untied. And the order matters here. Mark says that his ears came first and then his tongue. Most speech problems 
are actually the direct result of hearing problems. And so now with his ears wide open, he can finally understand, he can hear his speech, and he can form the words correctly and talk plainly. And I I don't point that out uh, for any other reason, just to say this, that what's true physically in this text is also true spiritually for us, for you and me. We could say it this way, that when we fail to hear the gospel correctly in our lives, we fail to live the gospel. Every problem that you have in your life right now, every struggle, every failure, every obstacle, every sin in your life, it all boils down to not hearing the gospel in its fullness in that particular area of your life. Now, what is the gospel? Let's remind ourselves of what it is. It is that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's the gospel. What corner of your heart right now needs to hear that again? There's some corner of your heart that needs to hear that every day of your life. There's always another corner that needs to hear it. And until you hear it, you cannot live it. This man hears and he's able to speak. He is healed. Now, I was clear earlier that the spit did not have any real power here, right? So what did have power? How did this man become healed? Jesus, it says, looks up to heaven, and there it is. The power comes from God himself as Jesus prays and asks God to do a healing in this man's life. He looked up And to serve this man well, Jesus accessed and used God's power. And I want to remind us that we can't ever forget that we have that same power available to us. And so that means that when you you feel empathy for somebody else and that has led you to action and you are helping, you're loving, you're serving them, go another step and invite the power of God into that equation. Is somebody sick around you? Then pray for the power of God to heal them? Are, is somebody addicted around you? Then pray for the power of God to free them. Are they in a broken relationship? Then in addition to serving and helping and loving them through that and counseling, all that, pray for the power of God to restore them. Don't ever be afraid to ask for a miracle. What we've learned in recent weeks about the miracles that Jesus did is that God heals one person And it's a reminder to all of the rest of us that he can heal us. And eventually, because of what Jesus Christ has done, he will heal all of us forever. And so Jesus does that. And a tongue tied up in knots is miraculously untied. There's a church in Norway that is a state-run Lutheran Pentecostal church. Now, if you know anything about any of those terms, you know that they all contradict each other. That shouldn't happen. But, but this is a church that did something remarkably simple. On the weekends, they would go to the town square, and they would set up a tent uh, with a sign above it that just said, healing prayer. 
And during some of the busiest times of the week, there would be some members of the church, and they would go, and they would set out in that tent, and they would just be there as people walked by. And it was amazing, the people that would never darken the door of a church, but they stopped in to this tent and said, yes, I need prayer. Because why not, right? And so, this state-run Lutheran Pentecostal church and its members, when people came into that tent, they would put a hand on their shoulder and they would ask for God's power to work in that person's life. There wasn't any weird stuff, there was just praying. And over time, they noticed something really shocking about praying in the town square as opposed to praying in church on Sunday. They, 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 they kind of tracked all of their prayers, and they noticed that when they prayed inside their church for people who were already following Jesus, their success rate, success rate was about 10%. But when they prayed in the town square for people who did not know Jesus, they had stretches where the success rate of their prayers went over 80%. I don't know what to make of those numbers, but here's what I do know, that there's a power available to us that we need to look to and we need to ask for in every situation. There's a power available to us. Why would we not ask for it? Finally, in this text, there's silence. Everybody sees this miracle. And Jesus says to those who saw what had been done, don't tell anybody. Which, of course, what do they immediately do? They go tell people. Isn't that amazing? Let me just, let me just make a small jab here. People who are told to be silent can't help sharing what they saw. People who are told to tell what they saw? I'm not sure we're as eager. Why does Jesus command the silence? The easiest answer is that Jesus knows that word will eventually get out of what he's capable of. He's already raised the dead by this time in his ministry, and he knows that eventually that's going to get into the ears of the Roman authorities and the Jewish religious authorities, and Jesus kind of stands against everything that they are for, and so they will want to stop his movement somehow. How do you stop a person who can literally call people out of graves? The only way is to kill him, and Jesus knows that's what's coming. And so when he says, don't tell anybody, all he's trying to do is to slow that process down. He knows where all of this is headed, but he's got ministry to do. He's got news of the kingdom to share for as long as he can. And so every time he does a miracle, every time Jesus uses his redeeming power to restore somebody else, to restore ears and tongues, we could say this, he's putting a nail in his own coffin, or in Jesus' case, he's putting a nail in his own hands. And so, here Jesus heals a man who can't hear and can't talk, and Mark uses it to point us once again to who Jesus is. Look at the very last verse. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute 
speak. This non-silence that they go out and they immediately start sharing what Jesus has done and what they saw, it comes because people come to understand who Jesus is. They know. He's God. They are astonished beyond measure. They say of Jesus, he's done everything well, which is another way to say they looked on what Jesus did and they said, it is good. What did God say at the very beginning when he created all the stuff that he created? After he created everything, he said, it is good. And that's what they're saying of Jesus. And so what they see in Jesus is the creator taking things of the world that have been twisted up by sin and rebellion against God and making those things right and straight and they see God in Jesus. But here's also what they see. They see God's Messiah. I've mentioned a couple times in the sermon already this rare word that Mark uses for this man's condition. And it only occurs two times in the entire Bible. One time is here in Mark chapter 7. The second time, or maybe we could say the first time, is back in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 35. And this particular passage in Isaiah is a messianic passage. It's describing what the Messiah will be like and what he will do when he comes from God, when he's sent by God and he comes to the earth. Watch what Isaiah says. He says this, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and here it is, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. There's where our word is. When Mark writes that very last line of this text, he says, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Mark intends us to make a connection with Isaiah chapter 35. Who is Jesus? He's doing all of these things and he's doing them well, even down to making a deaf person hear and a mute person speak. That's something that only the Messiah could do. Hey, what does that text in Isaiah say? Isn't this exactly what Jesus, the Messiah, supposed to do? Oh my goodness, Jesus is God's Messiah. Is that what you see when you see Jesus? Do you see the only one who can put the world back to good? Do you see in Jesus the only one who can come and save you? Do you see in Jesus the only one who can provide you the lasting healing that your heart is looking for in all of these other places? Do you see God's Messiah sent and come to save you when you see Jesus, when you see him for who he is? You'll never be the same. Never. Once you hear, once your tongue is straightened out, you won't be able to stop talking about it either. The lyrics that we're about to sing say this. Oh, I wish I had a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King and the triumphs of His grace. And here's, 
Here's a verse we don't sing too often. It's not even in a lot of hymnals. It goes this way. Hear him, ye deaf, ye praise, his praise ye dumb. Your loosened tongues employ, ye blind, behold your Savior come, and leap ye lame for joy. Would you stand and let's worship the God who loosens tongues because of who he is. to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease, tis music in the sinner's ears, is life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. His praise ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold your Savior come, and ye healing for joy. Glory to God and praise and love be ever, ever given. By saints below and saints above, the church in earth and Jesus' words to the, to the man, Ephathra, means be open. And his, his challenge to him, his words to him are exactly the same as his words to you today. Be open to what you've heard today. Not just to the miracles, but to the one that they point to. They point to a Savior. In this text, we had a man who has never been able to hear. Uh, he, then he goes and he's able to speak about what he hears, right? And so that's your challenge. Maybe today you heard for the very first time, your heart was open to what the gospel really is. That Jesus has done all of the work for you. That Jesus hung on a cross for your sins so that you can be forgiven and be united with God forever. There's nothing that you need to do except accept that gift because Jesus has done it for you. Maybe, maybe your heart was open to that today for the very first time. We would love to walk you through what it looks like to accept Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior. 
and be united back to the God who made you. But no matter who we are today, we have been opened to this, that God has a message that He needs us to share, right? And we get the challenge and the opportunity to walk out these doors, having heard the message, and open our mouths and tell people about what we have seen and what we have heard. Let's do that this week. Let's do it effectively and with eagerness. Father, we thank you for the time to worship as your people together today. We thank you for uh, the scripture and what Mark has written for us that we might know who Jesus is. And we recognize that he is God. He is the God of all. And he is the Messiah sent to come and save us. And we are thankful that he has. Let us go and tell everybody that we cross, cross paths with that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Let our mouths be open today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said. Thank you so much for your worship today. Have a great afternoon and go bless somebody this week, okay?